Well, go ahead, grab a seat. Welcome to Sedaris. They call me Dave, <laughs> one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here. Let me add my welcome to Megan. Uh, Megan's directing our kids' ministry. She's wonderful. So, yeah, if you have any interest in, those, in, in kids, just head up there. No commitment necessary to go to the, to the orientation. Just get a, get a view of it. I want to give you a few updates before we get going. This weekend we had our Alpha Weekend. Alpha is a course that we do that's sort of introduction to Christianity. And the weekend is all about understanding the Holy Spirit. And so it's really fun. We're going through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is all about the Holy Spirit and how he works in the world. And so we got to talk about it all weekend. It was a wonderful weekend. Some amazing things happened. That song, Come to the Altar, I didn't realize that we were going to sing it at the Alpha Weekend, uh, and we sang it this morning. And so it's just bringing back all these memories. I'll just tell a quick story. It was near the end of the weekend, and I was sitting next to uh, a guy named Eric. And Eric uh, is from the Union Gospel Mission. He's going through their program of recovery. Uh, and I remember I'm sitting there, and I, my heart had been kind of stirring for him all week. And so I, I kind of purposefully sat next to him during the time of worship. And then all of a sudden, during the Come to the Altar song, I just saw to the corner of my eye, Eric's hands just go up and I heard his, his voice get louder and it was like he was full of the spirit and I was just like yes God I gave, I gave him a big hug as he was leaving I didn't tell him that my heart had been stirring for him all weekend but uh, it was just a it was a great moment lots of great moments this weekend uh, several people I've heard uh, prayed and asked to receive the Holy Spirit uh, so it was an amazing weekend. So we celebrate that all together. I know not all of us are able to be a part of Alpha, but it's something that we participate in as a, in a church. I know many of you have been praying for Alpha and praying for the 40 to 50 people who are going through Alpha. And so this weekend was amazing. Just wanted to report that back to you. Be praying for, for those who are making decisions, are, are coming to know Jesus in a more profound way way, just be praying for them, especially after this weekend, because often there's a bit of, of attack that happens after big decisions are made, after we start moving more and more towards Jesus and away from our old lives. And so I'll just be praying for those people because they'll probably experience some pushback, okay? The other update I have is that one of our uh, external advisors, one of my coaches, um, had his surgery, we prayed for him last week, Dave DeVries, he had his surgery to remove his pancreas, his pancreatic cancer, and um, what? Sorry, prostate, <laughs> prostate cancer. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor of theology, okay? I just see a body, <laughs> so I don't know what's inside, okay? I don't know what's inside. So he got something removed, but uh, it was successful. That's what I wanted to report. It's successful. They got all the, the cancerous elements, and, um, but keep praying for him, Dave DeVries and his family, as they, he continues to recover and, and pray that the cancer does not uh, come back. So thank you for that. If you'd pray, let's just pray right now and thank God for what he's doing and, and ask him to be with us uh, in this time of preaching. Father. We pray, God, we open our hands and we say, come, send your spirit. Give us the ability to sit right now in the spirit as we hear your word proclaimed, preached, explained. Help us to understand it. God, we believe, help our unbelief. We believe, help us to understand. We thank you for successful surgery for Dave DeVries. 
We thank you for what happened on the Alpha weekend. We pray that you would protect all of those who are going through that process of, of coming closer to you. I pray that you be with me, that you fill me with your spirit, that anything I say that's not of the spirit would go in one ear and exit the other, but anything that is from you, that it would remain in us and stir in our hearts. Our affections would become full for your son Jesus who died for us, that your love would fill us right here, right now, through the proclaimed word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, uh, a little thought experiment, so you need to participate here. Uh, I want you to think of the most committed and decisive person that you know. The most committed and decisive person that you know. Okay? That was pretty easy, wasn't it? What if I'd asked it the other way around? Think of the least decisive and least committed person that you know. My guess is that that thought experiment is more challenging. And why is that? Because decisiveness, committedness is quite rare in this day and age. It's not something you see a lot of. What you do see a lot of is indecisiveness, uncommittedness, wavering. So it's hard. Well, who is the most indecisive? Because most people I know are pretty indecisive. But the decisive, the committed, those people that you say, nothing will shake them. Those pop right into your mind because it's so rare. Uh, we live in a world, um, read several articles this week, the millennial generation is the most indecisive generation in history. It's not all our fault. I'm a part, I'm a millennial. Happy to be, glad to be, right on the border, born in 1982, right on the border. So, uh, but why is that? What are the reasons for this? Well, one reason is that we have decision fatigue. Decision fatigue goes like this. Uh, what should we eat tonight? Oh my gosh, there's so many options and they'll all deliver to our house. <laughs> okay, uh, okay, what should we eat? So many types of cuisines. Uh, okay, let's have sushi. Great, we've made a decision. Okay, where should we get our sushi? Oh, man. So we go back. Uh, well, there's that place. I really like this there and that there. Uh, oh, my gosh. Okay, we finally choose a sushi spot. Great, pull up the menu. Oh, my gosh. What should I get? It's not just rolls. <laughs> you know, you could get anything at a sushi. Oh, maybe I should try something new. Maybe I should just get the thing I get all the time. See this? Decision fatigue. And this isn't something new to the millennial generation. We just live in a time where there's more decisions than ever before. In fact, there was a, a study conducted in the nation of Israel uh, about their court system. And, and, and what they found is for parolees that came before the parole board, if you came before the parole board before 10 a.m. in the morning, you had a 70% greater chance of receiving parole. If you came in the afternoon, you only had a 10% chance. So the exact same case, the exact same type of person, depending on when the judge was hearing the case, these judges were getting decision fatigue. And so for those uh, parolees that had their appointment in the afternoon, tough luck. The judge tended to be more fatigued, and so he didn't really want to make a decision in their favor. So he just let it drift along. 
crazy, right? The second thing uh, that makes it so hard to be committed and, and make decisions is that I, I think now more than ever, there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of failure. We don't want to make the wrong decision. We, we want to make sure we're making the right decision. So we don't want to commit to anything until we know that we've vetted every possible understanding, every position, every angle to look at this because we fear failure. There's two great acronyms that have bubbled up in our world in the last 10 years or so. The first is YOLO, you only live once. And, and what's that basically saying? So don't mess up. Don't miss out. Don't mess up. Don't miss out. Don't commit yourself to something that's not going to maximize your life. The second is FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh my gosh, I only live once. I've got to make sure I fit everything in. I have FOMO, by the way. I don't have YOLO, but I have FOMO. And um, it's a fear of, I better just choose everything. I've got to eat everything. I mean, don't take me to the old country buffet because I don't want to miss out on those ribs or the mashed potatoes or the prime rib. Any kind of rib I'm really <laughs> excited about. Okay, so decision fatigue, fear of failure, and what this results in is what I call a generation of drifters. We're drifters, okay? We're just sort of floating through life, never really wanting to make a big commitment. Make a big decision. I lived in Texas for four years. I love Texas. Uh, one of my favorite things that I ever did in Texas was uh, float the river uh, down in New Brunsville, Texas. Uh, the Green River uh, is an option. What's the other river? Whitney, what's the other? Go to Guadalupe. Two great rivers to float down. I went down there, and like I'd floated rivers up here because I'm from Seattle. And when you float the river up here, it's kind of action-packed, and you know there's trees and things here, so the trees might have fallen and. There's not a lot of that in Texas. So it's a different experience, because down there, they don't got a lot of mountains, so the rivers flow very slowly. <laughs> so really, it's um, just a bunch of people getting sunburned and slowly drifting down the river. The river, the water is quite muddy. Um, most people are quite intoxicated. And it's quite an experience. And I, and I loved it. But the problem is, it's just a great metaphor for the way we are. We just like to sort of float through life. And I never really ask myself the question, do I trust the people that told me what's at the end of this Guadalupe River? <laughs> I think if you stay on it, you will end up in Mexico. At some point, you have to get off <laughs> the river. Um, but I never really asked. I just kind of was going along with the crowd and enjoying. I kind of kept to myself and observed and watched and floated along. Drifters. Drifters, and, and here's the big idea. We tend to do this. We hold on to our commitments. We keep our, uh, you could call it our votes, close to our chest. We hold them tightly, and we're waiting till the very last minute, the very last moment where we know we have to make a decision. Just in case, just in case some new information comes along that might change our decision, that might swing our vote. That's what we do. And so here is where we find ourselves. Drifters, noncommittal, indecisive, never sticking our stake in the ground. But as we read through the book of Acts and the first 30 years of the Jesus movement, 
This idea of drifting and floating and, and never really making a commitment, that is foreign to the first Christians. That, that, it, it wouldn't even cross their mind that that's even possible to do as a follower of Jesus. And so I think that expression of Christianity needs to die today. We need to eradicate it from the church. We need to eradicate it from at least the portion of our generation who calls themselves followers of Jesus. To follow Christ is to decide, is to commit, is to turn from the old way to follow a new way, is to plant your stake in the ground and say, I'm with Jesus, whatever that means, wherever that takes me, no matter how bad it might hurt. And when we do this, we become a powerful witness in a land, in a culture, in a world where nobody's doing this. And it shows that God is alive in us through his spirit. So let me recap the series to this point. If you haven't been there, we're calling this series Witness because what we believe is that first, the first step to being a witness is that I have to actually witness the reality of Jesus Christ as the risen Lord of my life. I have to witness that. And so the first disciples, they were witnesses. They walked with Jesus. They saw him do his miracles. They watched him die on the cross. They watched him be buried in the grave. And they watched him and saw him and touched him after he rose from the dead. So they are witnesses. They've seen it. Now, the second step is once you've seen that, once you realize that, and that, that happens for us today, that we realize that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did die for our sin and he rose from the dead. Once we know that, the next step is that we have something to do. We have a responsibility and the responsibility is to become a witness, which is that we don't just keep that information to ourselves, but we show it in several ways through a life lived as a witness. Okay? Now, if you're not yet a Christian and you're in the room, we're so glad that you're here because you're asking the first question. Did these things happen? Was Jesus who he said he was? And what I hope you learn today as we're talking about repentance and baptism is that when you look at your Christian friends, your Christian coworkers, maybe siblings of yours that are Christians, when you look at them, you, you might ask the question, why is it that they do seem different than everybody else I know? Why is it that they do seem more committed, more decisive, more patient, more long-suffering? How, how is it that they do that and is that a witness, a testimony to the reality and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you processed that with us. We've asked you to engage in that question. Could this be the reason that they have the Holy Spirit of God within them, okay? So here's where we've come in the book of Acts. If you want to grab your Bible, uh, turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be jumping around because we're going to look... Uh, at something of a survey of the book of Acts, there's Bibles on the ends of your row. You can grab one of those, ask somebody at the end to pass them down to you. You can also look up Acts chapter 2 on your phone. Uh, we'll have some of the scriptures up on the screen, but not all of them. So, so if you pull out your Bible, I think, I think that's the best way to go, okay? So we're going to start right where we left off last week. And, and, and what we found so far in the book of Acts, which records the first 30 years of the Jesus movement, is this. 
uh, those people that had followed Jesus, in particular the 12 disciples, but there was a larger group of 120 that had heard him teach, uh, heard, seen his miracles, see, to die, saw him die on the cross, and then witnessed his resurrection from the dead, saw him after that. They have the Holy Spirit, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, fall on them. It's known as Pentecost, which is actually being celebrated uh, today in the church around the world. And um, they were witnesses. And then the Spirit comes upon them, gives them power, and their power propels them to do what? And Ryan talked about this last week, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that's important, I'm sort of a professional preacher, meaning I, I stand up here. This is not the only kind of preaching that happens. I say each and every human being who has witnessed the risen Jesus by faith accepts him to be their Lord and Savior, receives forgiveness of sin, and is given the Spirit to have a new life, becomes a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel. And the way preaching witnesses to Jesus is we witness to the historical facts of his life, death, and resurrection. We explain how all the scriptures point and explain Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, the Savior of God's people. Preaching always highlights the reality of sin, both individually and in our society, and then gives us hope that that sin has been forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that we can have new life, a new society. That's preaching. Ryan talked about that last week. And we all do it. We all participate in preaching the good news. So, so what happens after the preaching? Well, we're going to look at that today. So look with me in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. So Peter has just um, almost completed at least the beginning of the preaching for that day, and we saw that he probably preached for 10 hours straight. Don't worry, we're not doing that today. 37 says this, Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, he's one of the apostles, and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the next step. Hear the gospel preached, you're cut to the heart, you need to repent and be baptized. So that's what we're going to look at today. But what's the right order? Here it seems to say repent, be baptized, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Is that the normative? Is that what Peter's saying happens? We're going to look at that. So to do that, we need to do a survey of the rest of the book of Acts and see every time that the gospel is preached, people are cut to the heart, they believe that Jesus is the Christ, they repent and they baptize and they receive the Holy Spirit to get sort of the pattern, okay? So let's take a look. Turn with me to Acts 19. Acts 19, and we are going to look at another account where we see a similar but slightly different pattern that's going to help us uncover a few things, okay? So here we go. Acts 19, verse 1 says this. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Disciples of who? 
apparently disciples of Jesus. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not heard of this Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus on hearing this. They themselves were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So here we have an instance where uh, they've believed the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God, their Lord, their Savior. Uh, They've received a baptism, but it's a baptism of repentance. They call it the baptism of John the Baptist. And Paul says, whoa, 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 that's, a wrong, that's, that's not the right kind of baptism. You need a baptism of Jesus, because the baptism of Jesus has to do with the baptism of the Spirit of God. And so we see this earlier, that if you read through the Gospels, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, and he prepared the way for Jesus to come. That was his role. He was saying, there's one coming after me. He said, I baptize you with water the baptism of repentance, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That one that's coming, I'm not even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. And John the Baptist was speaking about Jesus. So what is the baptism of repentance that we see them doing here? Well, repentance means this, to turn or to change your mind. So what these disciples had done is they had been baptized, they had been cleansed of their sin, they had repented, they had turned from their old ways to a new way, they'd received that baptism, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. So they got the first half of it right, but not the second. So repentance is important. Repentance is important. We must first turn or change our mind. John Calvin I said it this way, repentance is the turning of man back to God. And so we turn, this is how it begins, we do turn and repent in our belief in Jesus. We've believed in something else, and now we change our mind, we turn, and now we believe in Jesus. Second part of repentance goes like this, we've lived one way, And now we turn around and we begin to live a new way. So we turn, we change our mind in our belief about who God is and about who our Savior is and what can save us. And that leads to a turning of our lifestyle, our living. And there's certain things that we now need to cut out. And now we start walking towards God in Jesus Christ. So so go back now to... Acts chapter 2, and we see this idea of repentance right here after Peter tells them that they must repent and be baptized. It really helps us to understand how important this first step of repentance is. Look at chapter 2, verse 40. So just a couple verses after he said, you must repent and be baptized and you'll receive the Spirit. It says this, verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Which is to say, stop floating down the river with everybody else. Figure out some way. It's not not too hard 
on the Guadalupe, <laughs> to stick a stake in the ground and not be taken downriver with the rest. Save yourself from the crooked generation. It means turn around, get to shore, you're going the wrong way, head back. Because this life, this flow, the, 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 the trend, the current of culture is leading to death, not life. Is leading may, maybe to momentary pleasures, but not to eternal satisfaction. So to do this, uh, some were being baptized in John, so they, they got this. They're like, whatever way I've been living, I need to turn and live another way. But that's not the end of things. That's just the beginning of things. So I believe that I was thinking improperly, that I was living in some ways uh, counter to the will of God in my life. I believe that. I turn in my mind. I turn in my heart. I turn in my deeds. I repent. But that's not the end. That's not the end. I must receive the baptism of Jesus, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And why is John's baptism not enough? Why is it not just enough to change the way I live or even change the way I think? Why do I have to receive something new? Well, maybe the best way to understand this is to think about how addiction works. If you are addicted to anything, uh, what's going to happen when you turn from that to a new way of life is you're going to be left raw and exposed and completely vulnerable. You're having withdrawal. And here's the problem. If you don't fill that space that has just been opened up with something new, something better than what you had been addicted to, you will pretty much always return to that. You'll go back. Unless you fill yourself up with something better. That's what happens when we repent, we're exposed, we're raw, we've said we've been doing this wrong, we've been thinking wrong, we've been living in some way against the will of God, but if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, eventually you'll turn back to the old way. You need the baptism of Jesus. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have repented maybe many times, but you've never received the baptism of Jesus. He's never sent his spirit to live within you, and so that's why you keep falling back. Ask him. Ask him. Jesus, give me your spirit. Fill, fill me up. I know you're the right way. I believe it. I want to turn from that and go to you, but you can't do it on your own. Ask to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want you to turn now to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we're going to see another account of this pattern unfolding. Acts chapter 10. And the context for this is that the Apostle Peter has come to the realization that the good news of Jesus, that the Spirit is not just for Jews. The church started as a group of Jewish people, but it's also for the Gentiles. Um, those irreligious uh, way gone Gentiles as the Jews saw them, that actually the Spirit of God can change them as well. So look at Acts 10, verse 42. 
Peter says, And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, that's the Jewish people who had come with Peter, were amazed. What? The Holy Spirit is falling in the same way upon these Gentiles as they did on the Jews? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, different languages, and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for the baptizing of these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Okay, so here we have an instance where surprisingly the word is preached, the people believe, the Holy Spirit falls on them clearly, and then Peter says, oh my gosh, what's keeping them from being baptized? Let's, let's find some water and we will baptize these new believers. So what is baptism? What is baptism then? Well, true, true baptism, the, the baptism of Jesus, is really... And I think from this passage and others, we see the order. It is a reenactment of something that's already happened. It's a reenactment, and it's public, of the drama of the saving work of God in a believer's life. So you see, these people had already received the Spirit, and that's when Peter says, oh my goodness, let's baptize them. Okay? Let's reenact what has already happened so that all can see even those outside of that room could see that these Gentiles had believed in Jesus, had repented and turned from their ways, and had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's unbelievable that this has happened. That's what baptism is. So turn back now again to Acts chapter 2, and we will, we will take a look here. When Peter preaches, there's two things that we see him talking about. He says, when you believe and repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus, you will receive forgiveness of sins, which was accomplished by the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and you will be given new life possible in the Spirit. Those are, those are the two promises that, that Peter proclaims in the first sermon uh, ever preached in the church. And both of these, both of these truths are reenacted in the demonstration of baptism. And I, I want to show you how that is. So there's two, forgiveness of sin and new life in the Spirit. I want to I show you. And to do that, we're going to go to Romans chapter 6. We've got this up on a slide, so you don't need to turn there. So Romans 6, 1 two, through 2 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? See the repentance? We must turn. We can't just keep living the same way. We have to turn. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We who were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, 
In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. So there's two things that happen. And we practice here at Sedaris what we call believer's baptism by immersion. And, and part of the reason we do that is because we think the drama of that actually covers and accounts for what baptism is representing. So here's what will happen. Uh, we, we, we always do, at least up until this point, our baptisms at Green Lake. And we invite people in to the water, and they're standing there. And, and, and then we, we say, you know, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And then uh, we lower them into the water, and what we say is buried with Christ in baptism. That's the first, and we leave them down there for a second. So just, <laughs> it's amazing. your lungs can hold more oxygen than you think. Okay, so they're down there. Here's what we're reenacting, that their sin is now dead. It's gone. We can't see it. It's, com it's completely gone. It's under the water. The body of sin, their old way, it's gone, it's dead. Now luckily, after about a minute or so, we bring them out, and we raise them up, and, we, and when we, we raise them up, we say, raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. We're, enact, we're enacting the second part of that, the gift of the Holy Spirit that we were baptized with. It's, it's already happened. I've been given new life in the Spirit, and when we raise them up out of the water, we say, raised with Christ. Your sin is dead, it's gone. We've got new life in the Spirit. Repentance, baptism of the Spirit. Now, I just love this imagery. Think of it. When they're standing before we dip them down, they're standing in the old world. This is, this is the drama of it. They're standing in the old world. Everything, this, this is the horizon that they have. Everything as it, as it is. When they come back up out of the water, the imagery is this. It's a new horizon. There's a new way. There's new life. New truth. <laughs> the world's changed. It's literally changed when I come up out of the water. I'm now free. My life does not end. I have a new power. You see how you can't live the old way anymore? Now that you're free, now that you have the power of God living inside of you, now that you know that your life does not end, but it lasts for eternity. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see one more story. One more story in Acts chapter 8. This is a story about an Ethiopian eunuch uh, who was a, a, a high-level official for the the queen of Ethiopia, and he had been visiting Jerusalem, uh, probably because he was wanting to know and learn more about the Jewish way. He was probably a God-fearer, and so he's come to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. Um, and then uh, Philip, one of the uh, disciples of Jesus, receives a vision from the Lord to go talk to this eunuch as he's leaving Jerusalem. So pick it up, verse 28. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, rise. 
Go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He was an accountant, like me. It was great. It was a great story. And he came to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home. And he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, an Old Testament prophecy. And the spirit said to Philip, go over to the, and join that chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? I love this. I mean, imagine seeing somebody in a coffee shop reading the Bible and going, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> That's the pattern we have here. That's the model, as the spirit leads, of course, you know. I had a woman this morning do that to me when I was uh, just looking over my notes in a coffee shop, and she came up, oh, what are you reading there? Now, she didn't ask me if I understood it. She probably should have. I think I understand it, but she just said, oh, great. Uh, I invited her to church, and she said, I'll just go read that passage on my own. (laughs) I said, okay, but look us up. Okay, so um, do you understand what you're reading? And, And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? Oh, let me just pause there. The, the world can't understand unless somebody guides them. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. And they read through this passage of scripture where Isaiah predicts that like a sheep, Jesus, uh, he, that is the Messiah, is led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus came onto the scene. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say these things? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scriptures, and he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said to him, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot, Stop! And they went out down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and the eunuch went away rejoicing. That's what happens after baptism. So at this point, joy, rejoice. I want to invite a witness to the stand to tell us a little bit more about repenting and baptism and the joy that brings. So Lena, would you be my witness up here? Okay. Give her a round of applause, guys. <laughs> Lena. Okay, I'm going to sit down, Lena, and I'm going to let you just stand here and witness Okay, um, I am a survivor of baptism by Dave in the lake, um, and I stand here to tell you my story. Um, I wrote something this morning, and I finished at 9.45 a.m., um, so here it goes. I think many people wouldn't suspect this of me, but three years ago when I first decided that I needed to consider Jesus, it was because I was trying to come out of a season of struggling. I struggled with my identity and forged it upon what the world told me was cool, partying. And with partying came binge drinking and other desires of the flesh that made me feel cool and like I was on top of the world in the moment, but would bring me immense guilt and regret every Saturday and Sunday morning 
as my head would hang over my porcelain throne. When I first started coming to Sidiris, I knew in my heart that Jesus was the answer, but the world was still deceiving me in ways that made me suppress the truth and still give in to my flesh. Not every weekend at this point, but still every other weekend, I would go through the cycle of party, pain, guilt, then shame. As I pressed in closer and forced myself to consider Jesus in more authentic ways, this cycle became more far and few in between. Until last July, I decided that my heart was finally ready to show the world and all the people around me that had witnessed my period of partying that I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior by getting baptized. My baptism experience was a time of immense joy. I got baptized alongside friends I made inside of the church and alongside my best friend. We invited a lot of our friends outside of the church, and my heart felt a sense of freedom that it hadn't felt before. For all to witness um, a new life that I was choosing to live through Jesus. But I still use God's grace as a license to turn back to old sins every so often. And one day I was reading Corinthians, and I wrote on these coasters some verses that stuck with me, and I hung these um, up on my wall, and they've just been there for a long time, and I finally took them down today. today. Um, the first is 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. With the temptation, he will also provide the escape. And 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Glorify God in your body. And I realized that what I needed to secure my identity in Christ so that no temptation would take me away from him was to repent, to acknowledge my sins with the conscious decision to never turn back to them. These days I feel that through God, I truly have power over my sins. I know my boundaries, and instead of laying in my bed of guilt, I use God's grace as a challenge to do better. And about three weeks ago, my friends were planning a couple's trip to Vegas. Um, one of our friends was going to pay for a table at a club with, pretty, with what would pretty much feel like unlimited alcohol. His wife, who's one of my closest friends through Christ, told me that she wanted to treat me out on a spa day. Um, there were plans to see boys to men. Um, just about everything that you could tempt me with into going. Um, but I prayed, and I finally came to the, to the decision not to go because I felt like in this period of time when I'm building up my spiritual wall so that nothing can take me away from God, that that's just what I needed. And I decided that I needed God's help to stand strong in this decision. And by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, I experienced very little to no FOMO at all. <laughs> um, and now I stand here before you today with no regrets. And this is a story of how through the power of baptism and repentance, I've experienced the power of God. Amen. Give her a round. Thank you. That's what it means to witness. That there is power available to us that the world knows not of, that allows us to turn from things that in the past we might not have been able to turn from. I'm proud of you, Lena. <laughs> By the way, Lena's also one of the leaders at one of our alpha tables. She's living as a witness for Jesus in, in many, many ways, and so oh, I'm just proud of her. So what, what you see here and what you hear in her story and, and as you read these different accounts in the book of Acts is sometimes it's hard to know what order these things are happening in. And sometimes the gaps between them are different. I mean, for me, uh, I, I became a believer when I was uh, a teenager, but I didn't get baptized until my mid-20s. Some people, it's happening 
the moment of. They believe, they repent, and they're baptized, and it's almost like the same moment. It's kind of like people's sort of stories of love and how, how they got together. Some people, it's like, met her on Friday, <laughs> proposed on Monday, and we're getting married next weekend, you know? And some people, it takes longer, like me and Allie. I knew I'd been filled with the spirit of Allie. No, that's not a thing. I'd been filled, <laughs> filled with love for Allie the moment I met her. I told that story a few weeks ago. Uh, but then it took me another two and a half years <laughs> to marry her. Okay, so it took some time. That's okay. But the story always goes like this. We hear the gospel of Jesus. We believe that it's true, that he's the son of God, that he's died for my sins. We believe, we repent, we turn from an old way of thinking, and we, we make... Um, convictions that we're going to change the way we live to live the Jesus way, and, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and then we mark that out by a public declaration, which is baptism. And you can see how this is such a powerful witness. This is why God asks us to do this. It's a powerful witness. A changed life is a powerful, powerful witness. And it's important to say, and I, I love that Lena said this, it's a changed and a changing life. It's not like we repent once, we're repenting over and over and over again because there will be times when we fall back and we repent again and we keep going. It's this life of repentance and over time we see it change. So the repentant life will look substantially different than the unrepentant life. Now, I got nothing against tattoos or cross necklaces or bumper stickers that say I'm with Jesus. All of these things are fine and wonderful unless you don't actually have a repentant life. Because then you're just confusing everybody. Wait, wait, this guy's got a cross tattoo, and yet he looks exactly like all my other friends. Oh, you've got a cross necklace, but nothing in your life looks different. You've got a bumper sticker that says, I'm with Jesus, but you're flipping people the bird on the freeway. Stop confusing people. Does your life look substantially different than it did before you became a Christian? If not, something's malfunctioning. A changed life is a great witness. We need to pray, God, give us the strength to change the way we live to match up with your will and your rule in our lives. Baptism is a witness too. It's a public declaration that I've made a decision I've made up my mind. I'm not holding my vote close to my chest, waiting to see if maybe it's going to be disproven. I'm making a decision. I'm committing myself publicly. I'm casting my vote with Jesus. And in Jesus' day, this was incredibly dangerous because Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, he was Lord. And at baptisms, the Christians would say, no, Caesar is not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And people literally lost their lives because of their public declaration at their baptism of their committed devotion to a new Lord. Now, you probably aren't going to die <laughs> if you get baptized. But a few things you might experience a little death. You might experience a little social death. Some friends might not want to be friends with you anymore. I didn't realize you were such a devoted Christian that you'd do that. You might experience a little career death. Maybe your family kicks you out because you've committed to Jesus publicly. So I'll ask you this question. Do 
Do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Would you invite them to your baptism? Think about how powerful of a witness that would be. See how they're connected. Repenting the changed life and public reenacting of the baptism of the Spirit. They're connected. They must go hand in hand. Unfortunately, they don't always. But when we do, when we connect those, when we repent and we believe and we're baptized in the name of Jesus, here's what we're saying. Jesus, not money, is my Lord. Jesus, not political party, is my Lord. Jesus, not my career, is my Lord. Jesus, not my family, is my Lord. Jesus, not my Sunday mornings, is my Lord. Jesus, not my Saturday or Friday nights, is my Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. He rules all. He owns my life. And we stick a stake in the ground. And all the ripple effects reveal something supernatural to the watching world. How in the world, Lena, do you live like that? And the answer is, the power of God's love dwelling in us that has filled us up when we receive the Spirit. I've experienced this in my own life, a dramatic change, a sticking a stake in the ground. For a long time I'd been a Christian but lived almost a double life of sorts and I stuck my stake in, in the ground and I realized if, if, if I believe this, I've got to believe it with every part of my life. You might be saying, it's too hard, I can't do that, Dave. Well, what gives you the power to do this? And the answer is always the Spirit of God. The Spirit begins the good work in you, and the Spirit completes the good work in you. Arthur Pearson, famously talking about the book of Acts, says this, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Spirit have never reached completeness. This is one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall choose to reinstate the blessed spirit in the holy seat of control. This is always the pattern. When we were yet turned from God, our back was to God. By his spirit, God brought forth the person of Jesus through the Virgin Mary and he brought his son into the world By his spirit, God provided many signs and miracles pointing to Jesus as his son. By his spirit, God offered up Jesus as a substitution for the forgiveness of our sin before we ever repented. By his spirit, God raised him from the dead, vindicating his life, his death, and everything he had said. By his spirit, the apostles preached the good news of Jesus and recorded it in his word that we have today. By his spirit, we hear the proclaimed word, the explained text, and by his spirit, we believe that it's true. And then by his spirit, we are filled with his love, and by his spirit, we turn to a new life. And therefore, by his spirit, we have the power to witness to all the realities of God living with us. He's not far off. He's with us. It's a powerful witness, but it takes repentance and public declaration through baptism. Starts with the Spirit of God and heads out to all nations 
you can think of it this way. God is the wind. God is the breath. We are the instruments. And so when he breathes through us, we make a holy noise. And the world can't help but hear. If you want to be used in this way, here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to send his spirit. If you're not yet a Christian, if you don't believe that you've ever received the Spirit for the first time, say, God, I believe, I repent, send your Spirit to fill me up. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you don't feel any of this power of repentance or public declaration. Pray for a new, fuller measure of the Spirit of God to fill you and empower you. If you don't ask, you will not receive. But God says, if you ask, I am faithful to keep my promises, and you will receive. So, two things. One, if you've never been baptized, and you want to, fill out a Connect card, even if you fill out a Connect card before, and just write on it, I, I, I'm interested in baptism, and, and we'll contact you, and we'll get together, and we'll talk more about uh, what that looks like. The second thing is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up here in front, and if you just want somebody to pray with you, to help you ask the Spirit of God to come into your life. I'll just be up here in, the, in front. Um, don't, don't fear this. Don't fear giving your life away to God. He's going to give you a very good thing. He wants to give you new life in his Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that when we turn from our old life, when we repent, you don't just leave us in the lurch, that you come and you send your spirit upon us, that we might fill that which is now empty with a new life and a new power to live a better and fuller existence for your glory in the world and our satisfaction. God, I pray for my friends here, if they've never experienced the spirit of God filling them, even, even if they've been calling themselves a Christian, God, that they would ask you right now, to receive your spirit. God, maybe they're going through a dry season and they feel like repenting and turning is getting harder and harder. God, I pray that they would ask you to send the spirit in a new and refreshing way. I pray that for myself and for all my friends here. In Jesus' name, amen.